sermonly happy guy. And Ned, he ate a moldy pumpkin pie. And Ned, he thought that he just couldn't die. And Ned, he laughed so hard that made me cry. With a smile on his lips and a wiggle in his teeth, would always wave as he was passing by. With a wink of his eye and without telling us why he would always be a terminally happy guy. Ned, he walked with his head up in the clouds. And Ned, he fit into every in-crowd. Ned, he smiled more than most guys are allowed. Please join me in the marathon prayer. May the taper not have left you feeling fat and lethargic, and the sniffles and niggles not develop into illness or injury. On marathon eve, may your friends and family not text you good luck messages after 9pm. If staying in a hotel, may it be clear of stag and hen parties, And may your room be some distance from any noisy air conditioning units, nightclubs, or someone who has just been let out of prison or returned from active service and that night been reunited with their loving partner. If perchance you do sleep, may you dream of forgetting your number or race kit, or of not being able to find the start of the race, or of oversleeping and missing it completely in order that on the day itself you will wake up, remember your number and race kit, and find your way to the start on time. May you eat a breakfast familiar to your digestive system. May your transport be on time and free from catastrophic mechanical malfunction. May the portaloos have few people queuing outside, and plentiful toilet tissue inside. May your GPS unit and heart rate monitor be fully charged, and may it find satellites immediately, and link seamlessly with your chest strap, and not someone else's. May you not be held back by runners slower than you, starting too far forward, and in turn may you not spoil the race for others. May you not set off too fast, And remember that if you feel you are running too slow, you are still running too fast. Let the weather be 11 degrees centigrade during the race, with a light following breeze, and perhaps an inch of drizzle in the last six miles. And then, after the race, may the clouds disperse and reveal 20 degrees sunshine. May your timing chip remain attached. Your shoelaces stay tight, and may you avoid tripping over discarded water bottles or slipping on gel sachets. May you not suffer a visit from the gingerbread man, or run directly behind someone who has. May you not be impeded by idiots wearing personal headphones, passed by runners in fancy dress, 
athletes over the age of 80, your clubmates, your partner, or anyone off the telly. May you see your supporters on the course, and may your supporters see you. And then, when the race is over, may they meet you at a prearranged location and not change their plan and leave you thirsty, ravenous, and shivering as they struggle with the overloaded mobile phone network. May your nipples and sensitive areas be free from chafing. And in the final few miles, may you avoid hitting the wall. Resist adopting a run-walk strategy and find the strength to f*** your legs. And on crossing the line, may you wipe the phlegm from your cheeks and the crystallized salt from around your mouth and find the energy to smile for the cameras. And then, whatever your time or your achievement, be it a personal best, or absolute unmitigated disaster. Remember that your loved ones have tolerated your persistent absence, your challenging moods, and narcoleptic tendencies for months on end. So wear your medal or t-shirt with pride. Celebrate being one of the 0.1% of the population who have trained for and completed a 26.2 mile race. And enjoy a few days of being treated like the hero you are, walking like a cowboy with hemorrhoids, and not having to run a step. Amen. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 300 of the Run Run Live podcast. For those of you who have been friends for a bit, you'll realize that this is a necessary departure from our standard format to celebrate our tricentennial. And for those of you who may be new to our little endurance sports journal, well, I guess you'll just have to figure it out by listening to some of the other shows. Thanks to Tony for the Marathon Prayer intro. Tony does a regular segment called Tony's Trials on a podcast in the UK called Marathon Talk UK. And they were nice enough to lend this to us. One of our editors, our executive editors, Alex, my friend Alex from the UK, got permission from them for us to use it because I liked it a lot. It sets the tone, doesn't it? It's a holy thing that we do. I'm guessing that we're going to go long today. Yeah. That, you know, that long-form podcast is very popular now, so I'm just jumping on the bandwagon. So you'd better schedule a long run or a ride or whatever for this one. I've invited some of my friends to submit audios, and I'm going to be completely frivolous and indiscreet with too many musical interludes. So just sit back and let it wash over you like a wave of warm molasses. Chill out. We've got no place to be. There's no rules, no rules for this one. It's going to be a long show, and the format's going to be different than usual, but you want to hang around until the end because the ASICS team has asked me to give away some shoes, and I'll set up a contest in the show outro, and everybody likes free shoes. It's been a long run here, huh? We've seen births and deaths and marriages and divorces. The cycle of life. 
and for everything there is a season, and you've certainly ornamented my life for the better through these many seasons. In today's 300th official episode, I'm going to talk about community at some point, and this strange and wonderful long-distance relationship we all share wrapped around our sport. I may tell a zombie story for the Halloween season just for fun. And I've gathered up, like I said, some guest commentary for you to enjoy, if for no other reason than to quiet the voices in your head. But fear not. We are going to wrap all the frivolity around a great interview with Coach Andrew Castor, who I met through the A6 New York City Marathon, Editor's Choice Boondoggle, I mean program. I really enjoyed talking to Andrew about altitude training and just geeking out in general on training topics. It's it's a great running content rich interview and I and I feel like I'm doing it a disservice by sandwiching it into all this 300th episode frou for all. Nothing significantly new in my training. I'm feeling fairly strong. I'm healthy. I got a nice two-and-a-half-hour long run in over the weekend, and that was significant in that I was able to maintain my heart rate and pace consistently throughout with no power failure. Too many of my long runs over the summer ended with the the proverbial death march, so I think that's progress. I'm still trying to find my racing speed, and maybe it's gone for good. I don't know. I appear to be healthy, so maybe I'm just entering a new phase, a phase of slowness. It really doesn't matter, because either way, I'm going to get up every day and throw myself at my workouts as part of my personal balance. With the Marine Corps Marathon and the New York City Marathon coming up in a couple weeks on back-to-back weekends, my plan is not to race them, but instead to try to get away healthy, And then we can throw in a targeted cycle or two for either a midwinter race or a spring race. I'm looking at some shorter stuff, too, to fill in the gaps. So looking forward to some grand adventures over the next couple of weeks with new and old friends alike. So, my friends, bear with me as we take off our shirts and dance on the tables today, throwing all rigor and caution to the wind because, hey, we're among friends. And friends take the time to celebrate their accomplishments. On with the show. Steve Runner. What can you say about Steve that hasn't already been said? 
He's the five-star general of running podcast, a landmark, a fixture, a guiding light for all of us. And even though I know he doesn't listen to my show, he caught on to the zombie theme and submitted a slickly produced mini-episode, brilliant as always. Always sets a high mark, Steve does. Thanks, Steve. Terminus. Those who arrive survive. Follow the tracks to the point where all lines intersect. There are maps at the crossings to help guide you with your journey. Oh, hey, Chris. Welcome to the zombie apocalypse. It's Steve Runner here from Fidipidations. And, well, looky here. It's the 300th episode of Run Run Live. You know, I've always loved the name of your podcast. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry about that. We're having a small infestation at the moment. There we go. Anyway, for me, the title of your podcast has been a huge inspiration for me and the rest of the team here who are fighting the swarming throngs of The Walking Dead. In a way, your podcast has become sort of a mantra of ours. Run, run, live. It's short, it's simple, it's easy to print on a t-shirt, and it reminds us of our priorities. Like when we're being attacked by the walking dead. What should I do? Run, run, live. In that order. So, thanks again for all of the great content, Chris. Thank you for your incredible show, and most of all, thanks for the inspiration. Steve, the zombies have us outnumbered. What should we do? <laughs> See what I mean? Congratulations, Chris. And whatever you do, run, run, every... <clears throat> live This next bit from Katie, it always warms my heart when I hear from women who listen to the show and get something out of it. I'm always worried that I'm too uh, misogynist because I'm an old guy, a cranky old guy. And Katie sent me this very nice missive. Apparently, we resonate in some way through the universal mastermind. And that's one of the dynamics of the digital world, right? Your ideas can slip free of the physical and the constraints, and resonate with like minds out in the ether. Thanks, Katie. Hey, Chris, it's Katie Thoreau. I saw your um, request on Facebook for some help with your 300th episode, so I thought I'd 
send you a quick piece of, um, uh, audio, audio feedback to, uh, to encourage you. First of all, congratulations on your 300th episode. I think that's pretty, uh, pretty outstanding and, and, um, quite an accomplishment. And then I would just tell you that, um, I don't think you should put so much pressure on yourself. You know, you've, you've made it to 300. That's great. But 299, 301, 302, 300, uh, it, it doesn't matter. We all, um, we all just like listening to you, hearing your stories, love the way you, you tell stories and love the, the bits of inspiration that, that you share with us. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been listening to your podcast on a, you know, early morning run somewhere in the world. And, um, you mentioned something that I've been, you know, I've been thinking about or, or working on, you know, whether it's how to be more effective in the morning or how to make a more effective presentation. Um, it's, um, it's always sort of eerie when I uh, listen to you and you happen to be talking about something that I'm trying to work through myself. So I just appreciate the, the conversation and the ideas and the, uh, the inspiration. So I know you're, uh, I know you're a crazy guy because you've run a marathon a month for multiple months and you're always, uh, really out there training, training hard. And so you're going to push yourself hard in this, which is, which is great. And this is why you, um, you do so well at so many things in your life because you, you push really hard. I am um, also looking at numbers these days. I'm running a uh, marathon this weekend. I'm running the AC Marathon in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I um, had to defer the Marine Corps to next year due to a family wedding. So, uh, but still wanted to get my fall marathon in. And I'm just trying not to worry about the numbers. And uh, it's my sixth marathon. I've never broken five hours, so I'm a slow runner. Um, and that's always been a goal. But you know what? Every year I get uh, I get older and getting a little bit slower and. And, uh, most years I go into these things injured. So we'll see what happens this year's first time. I haven't been injured going into a, um, into my fall marathon. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. But again, trying to take my own advice, not to put too much pressure on myself. So Chris, thank you for everything you do. Love listening to you and, um, just really appreciate all you do for, um, for all of us out here, all of us lonely, lonely runners who love to hear what you have to say. So thanks and, um, congratulations. And now, some food for thought. Oh, I get it. The sleepless in Seattle effect. So what can we take away from all these remote, one-way, and digital relationships in this Internet age? Well, as I think through the last couple of decades and my involvement in the Internet in all its various forms, I find that there are some lessons we can draw from the experience. We have our online community, but how many of us have actually met in the flesh, in the protein form? I think that's the key. That's when you cross the barrier from 
online acquaintance to possible friend. As a podcaster for many years, I have this weird one-way relationship with a lot of people I've never met. And it's a bit like the audio version of Facebook. You get the, the version of me I want to show you, and you can be sure that's a biased and unrealistic sample of the real me. And when I started the podcast, I designed it as a performance. I wanted the delivery to be passionate and full of meaning so that you would get the full package of content wrapped in delivery. And trust me, I don't walk around every day emoting my words to everyone like a walking Shakespearean voice actor. My point is, you're getting a filtered version of me. That's not really the main dynamic. The main dynamic is that it's not about me or what I'm projecting. The version of me that you hear and visualize has more to do with you than me. You are seeing yourself, and I'm just the mirror. And that's the interesting dynamic in digital relationships. You project your own needs onto them to fill in the blanks of the communication medium. It's not them you're seeing. It's you. So think about it. Why do people get so angry and vilify people they've never met simply through an online interaction? Simply because you're reacting to them through the filter of you. You're projecting yourself onto their words and sounds and videos. Understand that in these digital relationships, what you are seeing and feeling is an echo of yourself. And ask yourself the question, what is the need that I am projecting to cause this emotional response in myself? That being said, these are also fresh relationships. We enter the digital relationship free of historical baggage. We can be anyone we want to be. We are not constrained by even the physical aspects of our nature. Digital relationships. There have been several news stories recently about people who have started projects to go out and meet all their Facebook friends in person. One gentleman was driving around the country to meet all his digital friends. He told People magazine, I feel that having a closer relationship with a person helps me to be better. It's easy to belittle, berate, and dismiss somebody with which you have no relationship or perhaps a Facebook relationship only. But when you spend time at their dinner table, play games with their kids, and hear about their lives, it's a little bit more difficult to be unkind and uncaring towards them. Same thing I've found by traveling around the world. So here's my challenge to you. Look out across your digital landscape and your digital friends and meet them for a coffee or a beer or a run and make the metaphysical physical. Cement some of those friendships. Take that leap and convert some of these digital acquaintances to physical friends. Of course, you can always buy me a beer or a coffee anytime. I'm all over the place, and I may or may not exist. I might just be a reflection of you. I might just be an echo in the void. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you.
Carlos, I've been listening to Carlos and watching him run through his beloved Pacific Northwest mountains and forests for many years. I would have never had the opportunity to know Carlos if it wasn't for being part of this online running community. And he's always got the Grateful Dead playing in the background. It seems like an idyllic life for me, running in the forest and listening to the dead. How could it get any better? So this is Carlos the Running Jackal wishing you another 300 successful episodes of Run Run Live. I've been listening to you for about four years now, I'm guessing. This is a little montage that I made for you. This is the sun, and that is Rob Smith's Must Run Hill. I didn't take it, so I didn't feel obliged to run it. Just about come through the actual saddle part.
go through the jaws in Squamish. signing off on the Whitaker Trail, heading towards the Mount Douglas parking lot, and my next hydration, which will be 15 minutes from the end of my run. So sometimes in the digital world, you get to meet actual crazy people. <laughs> I've had the great pleasure of meeting Anne and her husband and her kids, and I've learned a lot from her and from her trials and her resiliency and her openness. And if everything goes right, I'll get to eat dinner at her place with the Miles to End Prostate Cancer team before the Marine Corps Marathon. And the world's a better place with Anne's life force in it. Chris Russell, it's Ann Brennan from Ann's Running Commentary, or otherwise known as your favorite stalker. I am coming to you today just to thank you so much. 300 episodes. I am totally impressed. I think I've listened to 299 of them. I'm sure I've missed one somewhere in there. Anyway, I wanted to say thank you for all that you've done for us, and whether you're a avatar or you're a real person or whatever you are out there, you make a difference to a lot of people. So keep on doing it, Chris. Thanks. Bye-bye. Steve Chopper. What can you say about Steve? Steve was one of the original running podcasters with his high-quality show called A Mile With Me. And I always aspired to be as professional in production as Steve was. His first shows were works of art, like BBC documentaries. And I've met Steve in the flesh, and I've broken bread with him. And when we met, we immediately bonded, and of course, we ran and we raced each other like kids in the schoolyard. Hey, Chris. This is Steve, and just joining me here on a trail just uh, outside my hometown on the south coast of England. And as you might be able to, just about here in the background, it's absolutely chucking it down with rain. But why let rain get in the way of a good run? I just thought I'd... Uh, check in with you and uh, just congratulate you really on uh, achieving what is an amazing feat of 
getting to 300 podcasts. I think uh, even that is uh, not taking into account uh, podcasts under different versions and so on. So probably much more than that. Um, so anyway, just sort of check in, um, and I guess <laughs> give everyone uh, just my thoughts on um, you know the, the achievement of getting to 300 editions, and uh, I guess thank you on behalf of uh, other listeners um, uh, for your efforts in doing all the podcasting. So, uh, you know, during the summer, um, I undertook a, a wave of activities. I was working on my house. So I got out there, I painted the fences and I did the gates. I repaired the guttering and I even filled a few, few cracks in and painted the walls on my house itself. I decorated the hall and I refurbished the landing. Um, what, what happened as part of that was that my lovely baby soft hands um, that result from me, me working in the information world rather than uh, with tools took an absolute battering and soon became blistered blistered and very dirty but my wife was very happy she was always saying that I should do much more what she would call real man's jobs I'm not sure how you define a real man but apparently real man's jobs involve um, doing this type of stuff um, and I should do all this stuff around the house um, so that was back in the summer so last week um, we had a bit of an argument it was back something completely different um, which you know, we've been together for 20 years. So it's happened, you know, happens from time to time. But as with any argument of this type, we then get into the and also. So and also is probably a phrase well known to gentlemen listening to this podcast. It's something you haven't done or maybe a mistake you made from months ago that suddenly makes a reappearance. And sure enough, it turns out that regardless of the full summer of activities that I've done, Apparently, I still need to do more DIY. Now, by the way, DIY in this country means buying stuff from a store like B&Q, which is our version of Home Depot, and doing the construction or decoration work yourself, rather than paying a tradesman to do it for you. But, I don't know, maybe it's a threat. Um, she meant that if, if I didn't do more of this type of DIY, then I might have to do more of the other type of DIY, if you know what I mean. You know, these ladies have these threats. So, how does it uh, relate to this podcast? Well, it seemed to me that she had a different view of, or philosophy of, beautifying than I did. My work was on the external, the outside world-facing stuff. I didn't want my house to appear tatty or uncared for, you know, by the people walking down the road. So, although she was appreciative, I found out only through this argument just last week that my wife would have actually preferred us to redecorate the bedroom. Now this is because she saw it as something that we ourselves see every day and she cared less about whether other folks might find our fence a little bit untidy. It was about the image we have for the outside world and also the reality within. But maybe we were both right. We all know that change or true change can only come from within. But sometimes we have to appear to the outside world and to ourselves that we're already there. In motivational theory, this is called fake it until you make it. You have to create the vision of where you want to be and believe in it whilst you wait for the reality sometimes to catch up. And sometimes, to be fair, my reality is a long way behind, struggling, panting away, 
so I might have to uh, you know do a bit, a bit of a, a walk break here to allow the reality to catch up sometimes but in essence Chris that's why I think that you make such a great podcast we hear your inner motivations and your thoughts but we also can sense the dogged determination to set an external goal and to make it so when we add the wisdom gained over the years of running lessons from your business experience and the great informal self-mocking style then it all adds up to a great show so chris on behalf of all your loyal listeners like me even the ones standing in the pouring rain on a trail after just having finished a run listening to you thanks for the huge effort that i personally know it takes to actually uh, put together a podcast such as yourselves thanks for the entertainment the education and of course the reliable frequency as well which is also important so congratulations on getting to the 300 and i hope that we'll get the opportunity to run bike walk whatever together at some point uh, again quite soon now i've just got to get back now from this run because um, i've got to go into the bedroom put the rubber gloves and the boiler suit on and get down to a nice bit of diy yum yum for today's featured interview. Really? That's a line? Who writes this stuff? Can't you come up with something that captures the essence of my performance skills? My melodious voice? Screw it. I don't need this. Somebody get my agent on the phone. Coach Andrew Castor from Mammoth Lakes, California, the famous mecca of U.S. Uh, distance running now, right? Yeah, yeah, we have to think so. We started back in uh, 2001 with uh, Dina and Meb, and, you know, we had Dina, uh, Dina's coach Joe Vigil and Meb's coach Bob Larson came together and wanted to put together a, uh, a U.S. training team that mimicked the training clubs over in uh, East Africa, mainly in Kenya and Ethiopia. So that was kind of the goal, uh, and we wanted to do it at uh, high altitude, and uh, Mammoth was a great place because Coach Bob Larson brought in UCLA uh, cross-country teams up here during the summertime uh, just drove the five hours from L.A. up to Mammoth and 
who come up here. And I actually had been up here in the summer in high school, and, and Dina was actually up here in the summer during her high school career as well. So it was kind of a natural fit. And uh, the altitude is perfect. We're right here at 8,000 feet. So uh, we've been here ever since, 14 years later. How much does the uh, training at altitude make a difference for folks? I mean, do you have to, like, live up there, or can you do some sort of uh, periodicity at altitude that makes a difference? Have you guys actually measured that? It has been measured. We actually make uh, structural adaptations if we live at altitude all year round, uh, structural as in capillary beds, uh, a vast a vast network of, of capillary beds that feed our muscle tissue, both nutrients uh, and blood. Um, so there, there's a benefit to, to living at altitude all year round, and that's something we've, we've done since uh, 1996. Uh, my wife and I met each other in Alamosa, Colorado at 7,500 feet, and uh, I was going to school at Adams State University, and Dean was there training with uh, Coach Hill after graduating from University of Arkansas. So we're coming up on, we're pretty close to the 20-year mark uh, living at living at altitude, and some elite athletes in the United States and around the world uh, do short, uh, short uh, training sojourns up to altitude where they go three to, to maybe six weeks of living at altitude. Uh, I know Shalane Flanagan um, is one of those where her home base is actually in Portland, Oregon. Uh, she's been a mammoth uh, a few times. Um, I think she currently is in Flagstaff, and they utilize uh, her group, uh, the Bowman Track Club, utilize uh, Utah as well. So they're kind of, they, they bounce around, they, they do their training stints all around the world. Uh, but we like to think that living and breathing and existing and daily chores and daily life, uh, year in, year out, is actually the best way to, to, to train or to uh, get the altitude effect. So same thing, is it, is it, does the training have more impact at altitude? Um, you know, cause sort of, it's sort of like training with weights on, you know, in, in one sense for us flatlanders to go up there. How long do you see it taking people to adapt, you know, where they, where they no longer sort of notice that they can't catch their breath and they're having headaches and they're lightheaded and that sort of stuff? Right, right. Well, you never really sort of adapt. That's kind of the point. Uh, I, I run up the steps here at, here at the house and I get winded when I go up and I do that down at sea level and I don't get winded. So there's just a little, that's a little indicator that you never really actually adapt fully 100%. Uh, however, you do, you do close that gap, obviously, but it's, um, you know, I'll give you one little, one little story about Dina in 2004, in the spring of 2004, uh, she was down at the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista, California, and uh, her and Coach Viho were talking to Mike Shannon, the uh, exercise physiologist down there, and they actually hooked Dina up to this big balloon with a gas uh, gas exchange mask on her. Uh, Mike Shannon, the physiologist, told her to start <clears throat> start reading a book to just um, continue reading with this apparatus on, and he was actually adjusting the altitude in which she was breathing or um, existing at. And she would ask her, so where do you think you are right now? And she said, oh, I'm at sea level. And she would, about 10 minutes would go by and, and he would, he'd ask her again. She's like, Oh, I feel like I'm sitting, sitting in my, in my living room reading a book, uh, based on the percent oxygen in the air. And she started to continue reading and she, she read, she read a page and then she forgot what she read on the page. And she, she went back and reread it and her reading comprehension had gone down. And she asked him what, what, what elevation she was at. And he said 12,000 feet. So she lost a little bit of focus at 12,000 feet. 
So one of his recommendations was to move, since we can't move our house any higher, we're at 8,000 feet exactly, and we, since we can't move our house any higher, to go up to Lake Mary, which is at 9,000 feet, and to do a few workouts a week up there. And that actually was enough stress to um, elicit a, a spike in her, um, in her EPO production to get a higher uh, red blood cell count. So she, her and Meb moved, uh, moved their hard interval sessions up to 9,000 feet that summer. And then, you know, we had some good results uh, in Athens uh, later that year. So there is some specificity that you can move specific workouts up to uh, higher, you know, a couple thousand feet higher, and it does have an impact, huh? Yes, we uh, we are actually in a very very unique location. Uh, we're able to get up to nine thousand feet with just it's just a, a five minute drive from our house. Literally, we can train at nine thousand, eight thousand, seven thousand is where our track is located, and then drive down to forty five hundred feet within a half hour. Now we're one of the, probably the only places in the Western world that we can live at eight thousand feet and drive to forty five hundred. Uh, with that kind of discrepancy in uh, in altitude, uh, Flagstaff has Sedona, but Flagstaff isn't as high as Mammoth, and Sedona is higher than than Bishop, which is our our nearest uh, our nearest lowest town. So we have a, a we have a great ability to escape the winter, basically live high and train low out of necessity. And when I took over the Mammoth Track Club just a couple of years ago, um, I went over some of the data from from Meb and Dina, and I had noticed that. About 90% of their best performances came in the spring when we were actually living high and training low just out of necessity. So I've incorporated uh, lower workouts in, with my with my group here in the, the current group of Mammoth Track Club at different times of the year. So we're probably driving down next week to uh, 4,500 feet to get some some fast intervals. In. That's 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 interesting. So you think that's that may be that. At the lower altitude, you're getting a higher quality workout. You know, you're getting more bang for your buck. And also, it's sort of a race simulation because you're going to be racing, you know, New York City at sea level. Right. Yeah, we consider 4,500 feet pretty much sea level. It can get more bang for a buck during the workout, and the workout isn't as taxing and doesn't take as long to recover from. Uh, that's one thing that we have to be careful about up here at 8,000 feet is, when our athletes do a very hard workout, it takes a little longer to recover from that workout. If we're working down at, you know, quote-unquote, sea level for us, we recover very quickly from that. Yeah, that's super interesting. So what's it, you know, I, I've, been, I've seen pictures of Mammoth, but it looks a lot like sort of high desert, right? Not a lot of trees, just a lot of scrub, and sort of those, uh, those two-lane highways that stretch out into the distance forever. Yes. That's exactly right, and that and that scrub is actually sagebrush and rabbit brush, and the sagebrush is blooming right now. And my wife wants to tear her face off because she has a, these really bad allergies with the sage this time every year. This is her fourth year in a row that she's had bad allergies. Ever since she was pregnant with the, our daughter Piper, she 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 gets allergies right at the beginning of September, and it lasts about two or three weeks. So that, that sagebrush is really wreaking havoc on her, and that's exactly where we run uh, that long stretch of road, that two-lane highway. That's our tempo run road, and we we run out there, and that you know the, the hard efforts lower the immune system, and her her nose starts running, and her eyes start watering, and she starts sneezing uh, during the workout or or in, you know, in between <laughs> in between reps, and so I really feel sorry for her. <laughs> 
Yeah, and of course, when you're training at that level, you can't really medicate for any of that stuff because it'll it potentially will trip the uh, the doping alarms. Yeah, you pretty much just have to suck it up and, and get tough. Yeah, so it must be like a who's who of uh, training when you guys go up there. You know, in the afternoon, you get all the all the elites from around the U.S. doing workouts, tempo workouts on that same stretch of road, depending when what time of year it is, right? Sure, yeah, we have people coming in and out of town. Uh, right now, we have a, a few international athletes, um, you know, basically athletes trying to make their, their national teams and um, we, we get a lot of a lot of folks coming in and out uh, throughout the summer, and not so much in the winter. They typically go to East Africa in the winter time, but but we had a, a pretty good we had a pretty good summer with uh, people coming in and, and high school teams coming up and collegiate teams coming up from Southern California. So there's a lot of young energy, I, I would say, a lot of young energy with with not only the elite athletes but the uh, the high school kids coming up and and wanting to uh, to meet some of our Mammoth Track Club athletes. So it's a lot of fun. So oh, you guys, uh, are you building up any infrastructure up there to uh, support sort of this uh, growing crowd of people? You know, the, the infrastructure for housing is, is in place because we're uh, a ski resort town. We actually can we actually can put uh, or sleep about 60,000 people. Our, our year-round residence is about 8,000. So our town really swells in the wintertime when the, snow's, when the snow's flying, so to speak. So we have the infrastructure as far as housing. Uh, we just put in a, a track and field complex almost two years ago. That's being really well utilized by the high school teams, collegiate teams, and some of the, uh, the professional teams that come through. We actually had a, a Japanese crew from uh, from Japan who came up with uh, their marathon team, and they, they did a 10-day stint in Mammoth, and they went down five days to Palo Alto and then came back up to Mammoth for 10 days just to give their bodies a break from the altitude, but they were putting in mega miles when they're up here. They were running about 175 miles a week uh, when they're up here. Just all slow, easy. They they probably never ran faster than seven minute pace. Yeah, so they're doing sort of Lydiard build up, trying to change their physiology up there at um, that altitude, huh? Yeah. Yep. Cool. So you know, changing gears a little bit, I get the email from you with the training plans attached. The, uh, yeah. sort of, there was an advanced plan and an intermediate plan. I looked them over, and there's really nothing new there, right? I mean, it's just uh, speed tempo long. So I'm looking at those plans. I'm saying this this could be the same plan I'm looking at in 1995, you know? So what what's changed over, you know, how's, how's training changed over the last 20 years? Or has it? You know, uh, I think I think people try to get creative and fancy and really overthink it. I take a lot of my my training philosophy that I've built over the years from Coach V. Hill, and he was basically, you know, compartmentalized the workouts. You got your easy long run on Sunday, and that's going to develop, you know, your aerobic system. You got your, your threshold run or your tempo run on, we, we do it on Friday, and that's anywhere from four miles to 10 miles, right at threshold or just below threshold when you start getting above six, six miles. And then you have your speed work, and we basically rotate between mile repeats and Ks. So it's it's nothing fancy. I mean, there's, it's all about hard work and, and being smart and, and really not overthinking it, really keeping it simple. And these are the workouts that Dina did going into, you know, when she started with Coach V Hill back in 96. So she's been doing these workouts for about 20 years now. And they, yeah. they really seem to be working and, and, and it, gets, it gets the athletes really thinking about what they have to do on a, on a daily basis rather than 
you know, having, you know, I, there's some athletes that, that come up here and they have their whole workout written on their hands because it's so confusing. Uh, <laughs> where, they, where they do a K float at four, four minutes per K and then they have, then they have six by 150 with 30 seconds, and 45 seconds and, and 60 seconds recovery. And it, it's really not that hard. I mean, uh, a lot of the East African athletes alternate between K, you know, a hard K and an easy K and they do that for 20 K really not that hard. Um, yeah. The only thing, the only thing that gets complex up here is where to do the workouts and what time of the year to do the 9,000 feet workouts, uh, the 8,000 feet, the 7,000 feet, and the 4,500. That's where a little bit of experience comes in, I think, on my part, where I've seen it over the, the last, you know, 13, 14 years with a, a few different coaches here at the helm of now track club. So just know, I think knowing those formulas, um, a little more complex, but the workouts themselves are really simple, like you said, and you're probably doing the same workouts, you know, back, you know, 20, 20 years ago. So. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, you're absolutely right. They, you know, you, you look at the stuff like from uh, the running magazines and it almost looks to me like they tried to grab one workout from every coach and sort of cobble them all together into a big pile. And it's just confusing. Sure. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. They'll, they'll have hills and then they'll have intervals and then they'll have, you know, pickups and then they'll have something else. Right. And, and one thing, one thing we do, uh, in incorporating into our, our marathoners is our, our basic family track club is the only, uh, a marathon squad. I mean, everybody on the team right now is running a fall marathon. One thing we incorporate into, into our training is, um, an uphill steady state run which is basically an uphill tempo from 20 to 35 minutes. And then we start transitioning into flat tempos, and then, and then eventually we transition out of, of uphill tempos. But, you know, that's, it's basically working the same system, just without the pounding. Uh, you get a little bit more muscular, muscular demand uh, and power output uh, running up a hill at between 8,000 and, and 9,300 feet. But um, it's, it's pretty simple, too. Yeah, at tempo effort, which may be a little bit lower than a tempo pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so is that your your basic uh, training philosophy for these folks, these big teams that you manage? Is just keep it simple and do the you know yeah. the speed tempo long. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, you know the, the tempo, the tempo runs and the threshold runs on, on Fridays. You know they they kind of morph into um, a goal marathon race pace for us here at altitude. We have a, a run that we do. It's a, a 10-mile indicator run that whatever they can do for 10 miles at 7,000 feet, they can replicate at, in the marathon at sea level. So a great example, and this held true to the second. Uh, we have a, a young girl. Uh, she's, she's 24. She, had, she was 23 when she debuted at Grandma's back in June, and she did a 10-mile tempo run on the Benton Crossing Road out here in Mammoth and ran 5.55 pace for 10 miles. And that was about three weeks, about three weeks before she ran the Grandma's Marathon. And sure enough, at Grandma's Marathon, she ran 5.55 pace for, for Grandma's Marathon. So it's a really good indicator um, of, what, of what an athlete could do. I know Dina ran about 5.20 pace about uh, a year before, or maybe six months before she ran um, her American record in in London, so that, that was an indicator as well of what of what um, the tempo or the um, the goal marathon race pace run can do for athletes' confidence mentally, saying, "Hey, I'm in I'm in this kind of shape." And that's only that's only if they're doing the uh, required marathon training volume, of course. 
you know, if they're running yeah. 100 to 130 mile range where they got, where they actually have the volume in their legs. But yeah, so it's a, it's a really good, we have, we have some benchmarks that we can, that we can u- utilize up here to, to give, uh, give athletes a, a sense of what they can do for the marathon and the half marathon. And for the half marathon, it's um, a six mile tempo run. The six mile threshold run out at the same road and you take that pace and you, you, you minus a couple of seconds per, per mile. And that's what an athlete can run for uh, a half marathon at sea level. Yeah, exactly. And, and just to, to clarify for folks who might be listening to this one, you keep referring to Dina, that's your wife, who is the, uh, the Olympic uh, bronze medalist uh, in the marathon, and very, uh, very famous. I remember her back, uh, back in the day winning all the cross-country meets in the U.S. back when I was uh, starting, starting up. Oh, yeah, and cross-country was a huge, played a huge role uh, in, her, in the development of her career and actually the rekindling of her career. Um, you know, for, for the last, for between uh, 2010 and maybe 2012, she wasn't doing so great uh, racing uh, and training. And when, uh, when we both took over the club, we had, we had the idea of uh, putting cross-country back into, back into her training. And boy, that really lit her up because I mean that was her first, her first passion, her first love. That's how she got into running, the cross country championships, and, and placed third in, in 2013. Made the world, made the world cross country team, and over in uh, Poland, and and uh, did a good job there. But I think putting, peppering in the um, the cross country really, really helped with one, uh, helped with strength physically, but just emotionally and, and mentally, it gave her a break from from the roads. Yeah, you really can't discount the mental impact of getting off-road every once in a while. It's just, you know, remembering why running is fun. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And, and actually throwing away the watch because we have we have a course that we do that's uh, approximately 600 meters in length uh, on the grass down um, at 4,500 feet down in Bishop and we get the spikes on and... You know, you basically just try and better your better your time from the previous, and that's yeah. all you really got to do. There's no quantification of how fast am I running? What's my mile pace? You know, there's, it, there's no sense of that. You get flashbacks to high school where it was basically just all out. You know, it was an all out 5K in the woods. Totally. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, but I mean, you're talking when we look at these other plans that you're doing for the bigger teams, like the uh, the A6 team and and the general public. You're not loading people at 100 miles a week. You're loading them at like 40 to 60. Yes, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. The training plans that I created for the the New York City Marathon, and they're roughly the same plan I created for the the A6 LA Marathon too. It's basically a triple down, triple down effect from the philosophy that I take with my my elite athletes. Um, it's it's me writing the program, and I, I take the exact same components and the exact same structure. My athletes are running anywhere from 100 to 140 40 miles a week, but like you said, the, the training plans are basically, you know, 35 to 55. Some of the plans, and it's the same thing. It's it's allowing the body, it's, it's stressing the body on on one day. And then allowing it to recover on the next, and really compartmentalizing the different systems as well. So we got we got we're running below uh, anaerobic threshold pace, we're running right at anaerobic threshold pace, and then that kind of morphs into uh, goal marathon race pace, and then we have the the long run. So it's it's basically the same thing, um, just a little watered down for maybe 
the general public and, and maybe the, the, the runner just trying to complete the marathon in four hours. Yeah, so it's your, it's your like I said, it's your basic 16-week plan with uh, two-week build phases with a, with a one-week uh, step back easy. And your, your easy weeks in there, I notice, are pretty easy. They're a lot easier than I would usually do, and I think that's probably good for amateurs to give them a chance to recover, especially if they don't have, have experience with those hard build weeks. Absolutely. Yeah, and this is something I've really learned over the last couple of years, working with the L.A. Roadrunners. Uh, I'm the coaching director for the Los Angeles Marathon, and we have about 1,000 people in our, in our training group that's actually starting next month for the, for the L.A. Marathon. And this is something I've, I've over the last uh, two seasons, have really, have really opened my eyes to the, the benefits of, of recovery, especially for the people who are the weekend warrior who are getting out there and, and, and just trying to bang out on Saturday or Sunday morning, trying to bang out, you know, almost 50% of their weekly volume. Um, on, in some cases, because if you're doing, if you're doing a 22 miler and you're running 40 miles a week, you know, do the math on that. So allowing for recovery and, and not maybe, re, you know, not running until maybe Tuesday or Wednesday of the next week because of time constraints. I really learned that the athletes need the, the recovery more, more than they think. Yeah. Yeah, and we're not getting, you know, we're we're a lot of times as amateurs, we're running on very little sleep. And we don't get the daily massages or the training, uh, you know, the trainers or any of that stuff, right? So sure. it's sort of squeeze it in when you can. So those rests become real important for injury prevent prevention. Absolutely, for sure. All right, man. Well, I'll, I'll let you go. Do you have any? I I think you have a new website up, right? I do. Yeah. Uh, Coachcaster.com. Uh, I just launched that. It was actually about three years in the making. I had a, a few a few projects, a child born in that time, so uh, I, I kind of pushed it aside and, and started and worked on it um, every every few months. But uh, it's, I finally hit the uh, the, the launch uh, switch about a month ago, and really proud of the site. So if uh, yeah, people want to check it out, that's that's up right now and live and. Uh, working on getting my my Twitter feed to to pop up on it and yeah it's it's, uh, it's been great. What's your uh, what's your Twitter handle, Andrew? At Coach Caster. Coach Caster with a K. Coach All right. Hey, Coach K. Yes. So what are, what are the big race plans this year? Oh, um, we have a great fall coming up. We have um, like I said before, we have every single athlete on the Mammoth Track Club racing a fall marathon or a half marathon. And we have next weekend, uh, we have the Philadelphia Half Marathon, kicking uh, three athletes there. Dina's racing there. She's looking to break the World Masters Half Marathon record, which is awesome. 109.55. And she's actually, she's actually pretty close to that pace <laughs> up here in Mammoth. Her training's going exceedingly well. So we'll see what she can do in, in the streets of Philadelphia. And then we have athletes running the San Jose Half Marathon, Rock and Roll San Jose, and then uh, the Chicago Marathon, Frankfurt Marathon, and the New York City Marathon. All right. All of a sudden, sounds like you're going to be busy. That's why you're up at five o'clock in the morning, Andrew. That exactly. That's why I get up early so I can I can get a head start and a jump start on the day. All right. So don't forget to hug your kids too, right? Absolutely. All right, man. Thanks for the chat. We'll see you later. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah. Bye. i
So obviously I caught Dwayne on a good day. I think he was just waiting for a chance to bust out with some creative audio here. He went all extra mile on me in this segment. That's another fun thing about our community. You discover people's hidden talents. So thanks, Dwayne. And now, Cheap Thoughts by Dwayne Hespel. As a kid... It wasn't so much the thrill of the fireworks that gave me my first true sense of independence, but rather that one of them set my parents on fire. Hey, this is, uh, well, my name is Dwayne, and I am a, I guess you've got to say a faithful listener to the Run Run Live podcast that Chris puts out. So I am one of the many, and hopefully uh, several of us have uh, submitted to help Chris out with this episode. How can we make this fun and pay Chris back for all the time and effort he puts in? I don't know. So I'm just being real spontaneous. I'm on my way home from work. I just caught Chris's request on Facebook and thought I'd uh, put in my two cents. So what can I talk about? I just got back from the Poconos in Pennsylvania, the Pocono Mountains. Beautiful, the leaves are changing. We have a cabin up there, my my family does, and 100 acres in the woods, which we're not allowed to go into because of that crazy guy that they're still looking for. For those of you that are spread out across the, the country or maybe even in the world, there's some guy who 
shot a state trooper, and it's been a month-long manhunt for this guy in the woods of the Poconos, and that's right where our cabin is. I, it's literally uh, seven miles from the town that he grew up in and where the search is. So, sure enough, I go up to the cabin while the search is going on. But anyway, it was beautiful up there. Leaves are changing. It is the Steamtown Marathon weekend. Any of you who are familiar with uh, that tra- very has a strong traditional uh, calling. No, that's, that's not the word. See, this is why I'm not doing a podcast. It's got a base of participants, and it's got a history, and it's got a culture and a character. The Steamtown Marathon, they take you a half hour north on a bus ride, 26, well, 26 miles north, and you run point to point, mostly downhill, which is deceiving. Because I, I guess it's, you know, when I hear people talk about the Boston Marathon, it's similar in the sense that the first 10 miles or so is just like a nice grade downhill, and you get very comfortable, but then uh, then you pay for it later if you're if you pick up too much speed. But anyway, they had great weather. I was so jealous not to be, well, you know what? I don't want to run that one again. I got too many other ones I want to do. But I was jealous not to be running on Sunday morning. Yesterday, that would be. It was such beautiful weather, but I've had this heel issue. I don't know what it is. But anyway, my name's Dwayne from Lancaster. Just thought I'd check in and share. I appreciate you, Chris, and all you all you put out for us and so hopefully this filled in the gaps a little bit who else is going to contribute come on guys let's see what you got i can't stop it because i want the screensaver just edit it chris thanks and now cheap thoughts by Dwayne hespel on my next road trip when i pull over to one of those rest areas I wish some crazy guy would chase me around with a pickaxe. That way, I can do my resting when I hit the road again, which is the longer part. I've been having conversations with this young lady for a long time, but I seldom hear her voice. We're always trading emails and Facebook posts. And wow, I got to tell you, what an amazing voice. I can die happy now. We made a bet once we did, and one time when we both had marathons on the same weekend, and I happened to have a decent race, so I won the bet. And I don't care so much about the lobster dinner, but I am happy to have made a friend, and and that I'm grateful for. Hello, my dear Chris. Um, I'm here sitting at Austin Airport, 
And I thought, well, you're always recording stuff for us while traveling, so I may as well do the same. Yes, I'm here talking to myself, and I'm sure like everyone thinks I'm a crazy woman. Uh, but that's okay. I don't really care. Uh, my flight is half an hour delayed, and yes, it's united. Surprise, surprise. Um, I've been away from home for more like a week. I went to Denver first, and it was my first time running at altitude, and that humbled me, but it was so much fun. Then I came to Austin for the Austin City Limits Music Festival, and I saw many bands, and of course, one of my favorites, Pearl Jam, and that was great. Um, then in Austin, I was here running with high humidity and heat. So it's been like a week of very tough running. And I'm now ready to go back to freezing Canada. I know I owe you a lobster dinner, and I won't forget. I hope I'll get the opportunity to pay that to you because you've done so much for me. You've inspired me for such a long time. Um, and I hope I can pay you back. And thank you very much for 300 episodes of wonderful podcast. It's been so much fun. And I hope you had fun too. Thank you. Goodbye. believe he's making me record stuff. I have 12 hours until my deadline. This is so stupid. Is your deadline more important than mine? No, it's not. Nothing, I'm done. <clears throat> I changed all his lines because they're stupid. How do I stop this? Zombie Apocalypse. Episode 300, Act 1. In the darkness... The metal of wrecked and shattered cars glinted in his peripheral vision as the car headlights danced past them. They had worked over the months to clear this lane by pushing the abandoned hulks off to the side. He still had to fight the normal reaction of his brain to start at the glimpse of these automotive ghosts lurking and inert crowded against the sides of his open lane. He had to drive with the faith that one lane was still open and clear. The tires hummed on the asphalt. A strong smell of hot rock and dirt came through the window like the center of some ancient forge. The autumn moon hung full and ochre just above the naked trees. It was the harvest moon, partially obscured by stringy clouds, like something from the Halloween cards of old. He scrunched forward in the seat, pulling himself forward with the steering wheel, shimmying his shoulders to loosen his neck. 
the landscape rushed by. He had gotten used to and even started looking forward to his weekly run between the survivor outposts, something routine and constructive to measure the days of the apocalypse. The camp engineers, not much more than handymen and auto mechanics really, had welded and bolted a pipe-frame cow-catcher of sorts to fend off collisions of a non-lethal type. The occasional deer or stray, but mostly the staggering undead. It was like something in the old movies he'd watched as kids. They'd turn dumbly with hollow eyes into the onrushing vehicle. His cage would catch them with a surprisingly violent chunk that would shudder through the frame of the truck. The splintered, gaping form would pinwheel, sometimes in pieces up into the air and off the road. He doesn't like these encounters, but he knows he has to tough it out and keep going if he wants to make it to Camp B alive in the morning. He has to hang tough if he wants to survive, and he always survives. He sees them stumble out of the mist from the side and resists the urge to swerve. One catches low under the guard pipes and drags on the driver's side, catching weirdly in the front wheel and causing the truck to pull hard left. Standing on the brakes and fighting the wheel, the other catches the side of the cage on the right and slingshots through the passenger windshield with a horrifying crunch. Trapped half in and half out, the thing with great flaps of gory skin hanging snaps at him as he loses control and the truck digs into the shoulder. The world turns in sickly slow motion as the truck flips. He doesn't know how many times down the guardrail and across the median coming to a wrecked and rocking stop against a ruined tractor trailer. He blacks out. Peter Herridge. You know, I first got to know Peter through fidipidations, as he and Steve used to trade philosophical arguments. And Peter is a thoughtful man, and I enjoy listening to him turn these big thoughts over in his head. And, and look at them in fresh ways from different angles in a learned and interesting way. I'd never get that chance if it wasn't for joining and being a member of this community. And I can guarantee that my life would be poorer for it. himself, taught never to retreat, never to surrender, taught that death in the battlefield is the greatest glory he could achieve in his life. Spartans, the finest soldiers the world has ever known. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, Chris, it wasn't that 300 that you were talking about. Oh, um, okay, well... For the 300th episode of Run, Run, Live, how about a bit of, um, Tomorrow, Tomorrow we, run, we Run, or We Don't. Best of luck, my friend, and um, thank you for all the work you've put into the first 300 episodes of Run, Run, Live. A truly stellar podcast. Many thanks from Peter Herridge over in Somerset in the UK. 
So this next one is hilarious. So you get the question, what does it sound like when two long-lost friends get together after a long absence and start drinking craft beer? And uh, this answers that question. I guess this bit from Eddie and Adam would be the, the answer to that question. I've spent time with both these guys. I feel like saying both these knuckleheads, but I can confirm that when they're not addled on homebrew, they're both way smarter than I am. I'm hoping someday that my association with them might actually rub off and I graduate to be a better person because of it. It's recording right now. Are you sure it's recording? Are you sure? I'm absolutely sure. Listen, we're recording where do you audio. put the damn cord in this machine? I I think I paid the money, so I think it I think we're rolling, Eddie. All right, we're rolling. We are here. This is Eddie Marathon in Zen Runner. And we're here to congratulate our dear, wonderful friend. You know, one we've, of our we've known this guy friends. for a long time. We've known him since the 50s. 1850s when he 1850s. had mutton chops. And he didn't wear a hat. And he, he ate roast mutton. Mutton. And, and he wore mutton pants. Oh, my gosh. They were in they style were back then. They were all the rage. They were the rage. And the women back then, the women back then were going, oh, Kenneth... Kenneth, we love those. They were obese and skinny at the same time. Obese was in back then. Yeah, but so was... Obese was the new black back then. Right, the new orange. The new orange, too. Yeah, yeah, it was both. How did they do that with black and white? Yeah, and oboes. Oboes, too, were pretty popular. I think it was just at the beginning of the oboe craze of 1850. It could be. be. Lick your reed. Yeah, okay. You know, I guess uh, it's a double read, dude, on an oboe. So, uh, just that's like a technical inside music thing. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And, but this is really not, it's not about music. No, this it's is about about a salute, a, a salute. celebratory salute to Salute-tions. one of our dearest salutations. Salute. And we've been saluting. Yes. If you've been told, if you've yeah. been able to tell already. But we are here to really give some huge congratulations to one of our dearest, gratitude, bestest buddies ever. Kent, Kenneth, Kevin, 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 Kevin. I think that's the Extra Live podcast. No, it's an online radio show. Online. It's kind of like it's kind of like a thing where you go to the place with the phone thing and you plug it in, but you used to do it the other way. I'm not really sure, but the thing is, he's one of the best buddies. And then people forget about you, but then they remember you, and then they like you. He's on iTunes. With Apple and stuff like that? Yeah, so that means he's got to be kind of good, you know. Uh, well, I I guess, but they have that other that other stuff going on, you know. Well, it doesn't really matter because we're here to salute him. And we got to support our bestest buddy. Yeah, for 80. For, he did what? 83 shows. I thought it was 200. 200? 280. In a row. In a row. In, a, in succession? He never missed three. Three? He never missed three. That's a triad, you know. Never. Yeah. The guy's awesome, and he gets on there and he talks about like what, like running and like business and like music yeah. and eating, and he talks about pseudo military conformist rock music. Wow, things like that, That's, right? Is it in Braille? It could be. Yeah, you know, well, it's coming. Know. The guy is That's awesome. That's an upgrade. And you know, he did run a few marathons with us. Wow, with was us, really cool. He did backwards. He did. Yeah. Oh, he ran backwards. <laughs> this guy is so awesome. And all yeah. his friends love him. 
He has friends. He does. does Where are his friends? What are you talking about? Like, you know, I like, I did press the like button thing, you know. I oh, I've liked many of his things. Scared, you know. Yes, but you know that goatee is very, very attractive. I thought it was a goat. No, it's not a goat. It's a goatee. It's very scruffy. That's kind of an in thing right now. Oh. Don't be too... Listen, I know you're kind of doing the ball thing. What's with the traffic cone thing that he's been doing? The traffic cone thing? You know, with the... Tra- well, the, the two traffic cones, actually. The two traffic cones? You mean when he was doing the race thing with the... Yeah, no, it's Groton, the, Groton, whatever the, it is, whatever. Instead of the beard, it's the cone. Oh, the cone. The cone yeah. thing. Well, is that like a... Is that a, I hate to say this, pal, but is that like a jealousy statement because it's of your bald nature? No, it's not about you know, me. You dome it's there about, or no, what's going on? it has nothing to do with me. Are you sure? Positive? Swear to God? Bet someone's so. life on how you love? I don't think it's I the know. shiny okay. the top. No. But he's scruffy. But in an endearing way. In a way in which you can all like endear. And like deer? Well, there's deer in or those woods. Or D-E-E. His dog. Three? Or A. His dog, yeah, yeah. Billy. Yes. Loves running with him. The wonderful dog. The wonderful, the wonderful Billy dog. dog. Willie dog. The Billy Will, goat. Willie. The Billy goat, goatee He's dog. A, it's actually a goat. Did he he runs with a goat. Is he know? neutered? Is he neutered? Who? I don't know. Christine? Either it's one. Christine. I don't know. Yeah. Reproduction's yeah. in, though. You gotta watch out. It's in and out. <laughs> it's not just in. It's both, my friend. I know. Well, you know, they got in and out burgers out here, so. Yeah. That's just something I wouldn't know about. So well, we're here to congratulate you on this huge, magnificent, percolicious endeavor of 200 episodes in a row. All right? I thought it was 218. 18? Okay. Is still this math being on the yeah, test. I was it may be more. It may be less. Okay. I mean, All who right. really right. is counting anymore? I mean, seriously, folks. I don't know. I but mean, this whole extra Fidipidations podcast is a great I idea. I think it's a conspiracy. A conspiracy against what? Against Sparta. You mean <laughs> Sparta. Sparta. Yes. You steal our women? You make us slaves? Hey, on mile 20, I've done plenty of Fartas. Yes, with a PH. You've done Fartlicks with your Fartas? Fartlick. I mean, come on. You could pick any name for running and fart like it's it's just the that's wrong. just not right. Yeah, a fart. I think like. the International the last Association thing you want for to American lick. Runners of America yes. would be against that. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, no, mine aren't like that. Mine, you know, mine one time. Well, I can't even say. No, I can't even say. No, because you don't. It's not with your mouth. Let's just say that's the first and last time I use that new pair of running shorts. Wow. Well, all this is meant with love, with dedication, with honor, with joy for our dear friend, Kenneth. Kenneth? Kenteen. Kenneth Christine. Kentaro. Kentaro. No, you guys say it like Kentaro. That's Japanese. Does it make a difference? No, it doesn't. All right. Russell. What mile are we on? We're in the extra mile. That's what we're doing. Catherine Russell. Catherine Russell. Yeah. She's hot. Perky. Very percolicious. No, that's just not. What's wrong just, with percolicious? It, it makes it like food-like and it just kind of ruins it. Hey, listen, when you involve taste, you have to involve the sensations of food. Imagine if you had tongue on your foot. That's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened before. This is an absolutely delicious. Oh, listen, the Kansas City Royals have a 3-0 lead in the ALCS you know, it could be after a, defeating Baltimore 2-1 in Game 3. It could be an I-70 series in the yeah. World Series. Do you know that? I thought this was an Amber Alert. 
No, it's not Amber Lee. Yeah, our no. common sense is missing. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But we're not here for that. We're here for our dear friend, Christine Kenneth. Kenneth, Christine. Russell. Russell. 200, 300. Two S's and two 400. L's. The Y-C-K-T-Y-T. What's his? Yellow King Tom. Yellow something or other. Yeah, that's him. Yellow. Uh, slow runner. He wrote done. a book once. He did. He Twice. Wrote, he wrote several books, didn't he? Three times a lady. I'm still waiting for the movie. Yeah. I want to see the movie. The U- On YouTube. On, on Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> on Netflix. You know, I thought YouTube was going to show up tonight. I thought they were going to film us. Yeah. I'm really disappointed they didn't show up. I yeah, thought oh, they'd this, be here. Yeah, we only have the microphone. Yes, this which is audio you know, only. Which doesn't always work. But nope, not at all. We got it right this time. So, as we close out this uh, fine conversation, um, Christine, thank you for all of your hard work mm-hmm. and your Indeed. perseverance. Yes. Yeah. And I really love how you protect all your pointy bits. With? Farta. <laughs> 300. Way to go, my friend. We are so proud of you. Any more proud we would... Uh, I'd probably take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty good about now. (laughs) All right, buddy. All the best to you and to all your wonderful listeners on the Extra Run Fidipidation Slow Podcast Live Podcast. Show. Show. Yeah. Yes. 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 Good night. God bless. Okay, that was just creepy. Drag your tired body out of the mud. Push back the ravenous hordes. Celebrate! We've come to a milestone. We've survived. We've grown. We've run. And we've run some more. And maybe we've even lived a little. And I hope to keep that streak alive. Frankly, I'm not sure what form the show is going to take from this point forward. 
but I'll do what I can to fill the void, to light a candle, to shine my feeble light into the dark and murky corners, and find forgotten or unnoticed treasures to weave into the tapestry of our mutual digital experience. As promised, my friends at A6 America want me to give away a pair of New York City Gel Cayano 21s. So these are $160 shoes, and I've never run in them. Although I'm up to five different pairs of shoes that I'm running in from these guys right now. And uh, one of them I like a lot. I like the E33s. I like them a lot. <laughs> so the Gel Cayanos, they are described on the A6 website as follows. The new Gel Cayano 21 NYC Special Edition was made for the 2014 New York City Marathon and is updated with nothing but the best in A6 technical innovation featuring the next generation <gasps> Fluid Ride and OrthoLite X40 Sock Liner for the lightest and most luxuriously stable ride yet. Mild to moderate overpronators will run the streets of New York City in secure comfort thanks to the new, uniquely designed fluid-fit upper and heel clutching system. So, I think if I boil all that down, it sounds like a light stability shoe. And if that sounds like something you want, I'm going to set up a post on my website at runrunlive.com, and all you have to do is go leave a comment to register, and we'll pick a winner on New York City Race Weekend. Just make sure you give me a real email address when you post, so, or I won't be able to find you. So, my friends, as hard as it is to find the time to slap together a show every couple of weeks, I really do enjoy it. Think of it this way. If it wasn't for the Run Run Live podcast to keep me occupied, I clearly would have had enough time to have written a best-selling novel by now. And then I would have sold the rights to Hollywood. I would have gone out there, hooked up with the drugs, the alcohol, the starlets with questionable morals. I would have gotten divorced. And I'd be sleeping in my own filth in a West Hollywood gutter right now. So, you've saved me from all that. I am almost done with my book project, my Marathon BQ book project. Fifteen chapters in, so the, the end is in sight, only a couple chapters away. I had a couple people raise their hands to help me edit it, and I sent them drafts, but I never heard from them again. So I think uh, there might be a problem there. It took longer than a month to pull this together, but I wouldn't have gotten it done at all if I hadn't challenged myself. So I'll edit that up and polish it up and do a launch in the next couple of months. Here's an actual value-added tip that I heard a couple weeks ago when we are talking about creative projects, like writing a book or something like that. When you work on a creative process, the emotional energy and the momentum, the project itself, Think of it as shaped like a capital U, the letter U. So when you first start, you're all excited and you're full of energy and you make progress quickly and it's very clear. And that's like the straight side, you know, the first side of the capital U. But then when you get partway through, you get into the project, you start to realize all the things that need to be worked out and you get mired down and you start going sideways into distracting offshoots. You lose your momentum, and you lose your excitement for the project. That's the bent part at the bottom of the capital U. And it is here that many people give up on their creative projects. 
it becomes work. And the light at the end of the tunnel seems so far away. This is where experience helps. You might say this phase of the creative project is similar to the dark place that I always talk about in training cycles. So you have to put your head down, soldier on, push through that crooked part of the you. And then as you approach the end of the creative project, everything starts to coalesce. It starts coming together. Everything becomes clear, and it's joyous again as you wrap things up and birth the finished product. And this is the other straight side of the U. So remember that U, that capital U process, and it'll help you stick to your path as things get hard and get your projects done. So it's been close to two years since we rolled out version 3.0 of the Run Run Live podcast. As always, you can find me on Gmail or most social networks as C-Y-K-T Russell. Two S's, two L's. All of my slightly bent U-shaped projects are available at my website, www.runrunlib.com. And uh, you know what? I'll see you out there. Like the Mississippi, our tuning starts in Minnesota. Take I 35 to 90, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Big hot eight country girl, hope we're gonna make it on down. She said, Yeah, Tim, I'm good to see you, man. Hope you all stay alright. Uh, the future's not hard to see. Do what you do, girl, but please don't live. I'm gonna That girl's above the law The future's not hard to see Do what you do, girl, but please don't live I'm gonna hold on to you as long as I can I'm gonna hold on to you as long as I can And if you choose to leave me, girl
baby. Fast women, cocaine, and booze. Yeah. The toughest of the roughest. Right. I got nothing to lose. Before I met you, everything was going wrong. It's been a long journey now. Girl, I won't take you home. The future's not hard to see. Do what you do, girl. But please don't live. I'm gonna hold on to you as long as I can. I'm gonna hold on to you as long as I can. And if you choose to leave me, girl. 